0: Welcome to the Inspired Peak Performance Flowcast. Drop in as we dive deep into the epic moments of high performance from around the world, where we aim to unlock the valuable insights into their vision and the strategies applied in the pursuit of their own version of greatness. We'll discuss the experiences that led them there and what state they were in when they arrived. I'm your host, Paul Price, and this is the Flowcast. Today I have the privilege of speaking to Darren Holder. Darren's passion and expertise in the high performance sporting landscape is second to none and his passion for excelling coaches and helping them to be their best is contagious. Darren is the Managing Director of Coaching Better and has previously worked as the Elite Coaching Manager for Cricket Australia. He has been pivotal in improving coach education internationally and for many other sports in Australia including Swimming Australia and Rugby Queensland. Although Darren's work in Indian cricket is well known and inspiringly impactful, and I'm sure you'll enjoy and get a lot of value out of his stories. So sit tight and enjoy the conversation with Darren Holder. Darren Holder, welcome to the Flowcast. How
1: are you? Good, thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me, mate. So uh, look forward to the conversation together.
0: Yeah, no, look, um, I'm, I'm really excited about it, and um, we share a, a heavy intersection, um, of passion, of passion through, uh, through coaches and coaches well-being and performance. So I'm super, um, super grateful that you've taken the time to, to chat with me about it and share your expertise and, and what you're up to in that space. Cause, uh, you know, from, from where I stand from my experience as a coach, um, the work you're doing and the work that, you know, people like yourself inspire me to do and move towards it's, it is, you know, life-changing and, and game-changing for many people and um and it's something that needs to be brought to the forefront more often so so yeah, so i'm super excited but i thought i'd love to give the listeners a bit more of a um education on your journey a little bit from through sport and you know how you've ended up here in um with your with your business um coaching better and so you know, what led you to this point and what was what's been your journey through sport to get here
1: Yeah, it's a great question to start off because I've always been one that has probably started with the end in mind and, you know, knowing that there's certain things you need to tick off along the way. But I guess growing up in Queensland, where we are, both of us, I think on this sunny Friday, you know, beautiful part of the year, just before Easter, um, I grew up in the southeast corner of Queensland and played all sports like most kids did in the 70s, 80s, you know, through 90s. And then specializations that started to take effect in more recent times. But um, my professional career kind of launched off the back of having a lot of involvement in sport as a, as a youngster and mm-hmm. then an exercise science degree. Um, and knowing that worst case scenario, I'd probably add that year on and do teaching to you know, end up as a PE teacher or something of the like. But I was fortunate that I got an apprenticeship, I'd call it, um, was involved with Queensland cricket at the time as a development officer um my first role while I was completing my degree and going through the coaching certification process and and so on and got to just do a whole lot of stuff managing a geographical area um, which was sort of the southern corner of Queensland managing stakeholders from committees uh, coaches administrators players obviously that are coming through a pathway um, delivering courses as well as clinics in schools and clubs and and then coaching some elite players as part of my portfolio to assist uh, state youth teams at national tournaments. So for those first few years, I thought it was a really nice blend of kind of experiences that I was exposed to, to hone my views on talent development, player development, people development, but also learn more about the game of cricket through, through that involvement, but also just coaching as an assistant in some programs and as a leader in other programs. So yeah, it was sort of scaling a whole range of different things. So cricket was, you know, the first sport that I was immersed in um, and then kind of graduated through the ranks within that environment. I was lucky that really early, and um, we may even get to this part of the conversation, John Buchanan, who arguably was probably the most successful cricket coach there has been um, given the tenure that he had with the Australian team. He was still coaching Queensland when I first started. Um, so I was exposed to John and some very forward-thinking ideas around... How we analyze the game, how we record and measure things, but also what kind of philosophy we should have as a coach. so about managing the people as much as the skills of the game. So it was about making sure that we looked after them holistically. So he challenged me, I still recall, um quite early to have a clear coaching philosophy, which is still very central um, and it hasn't really changed. there's been tweaks and you know little pieces that have probably evolved a little bit along the line, but having that really early in my coaching career was a great foundation to be able to have something I could always refer back to and provide direction when you know you wanted a bit of certainty and clarity on where you go next. So um, that was essentially the first best part of 10 years of my professional career. So graduating out of a university environment, you know, applying my skills in that space, within cricket um, and gathering a whole range of experiences in different contexts Um, and part of it was to um, be a participant in the process of delivering coach education so uh, for me it was level one courses I was delivering for people in the region so parents and young coaches who transition out of playing and also be a contributor in in areas of my expertise. So doing a sports science degree, I kind of was a lead on the biomechanics and skill acquisition and those elements of our level two program in Queensland. Um, And I really found that exciting. Like I I enjoyed working with people who were teaching others how to get better. Um, So kind of led to at the time by as we were evolving as a a nation and cricket was really strong. John took over the Australian team. They had a really strong run of success um, with some wonderful players who are you know yeah. generational players um, in you know Warren and Ponting and McGrath and Gilchrist and the like. Um, w- Australia was being recognised, and I think it was when Australian cricket was really thriving and growing into the kind of modern day. Um, So throughout Asia, who were trying to catch up and keep on track with the rest of the world, England and Australia, and probably the West Indies had preceded us. um, I was invited to deliver quite a number of these programs through the subcontinent. So um, coach education and development where it was, you know, these are third world countries, underdeveloped, and they didn't have formal structures for their coach education. So on behalf of Cricket Australia, Myself and others, a a great number of people were invited to places like Sri Lanka, Pakistan, India to do those um, education programs to facilitate and to instruct and help coaches. And that kind of opened up a whole new world for me. It was fantastic. So I knew that that was certainly going to be something I thought would be part of my future in terms of leading coaching systems and coaching programs. Um, and, And kind of that was the... I'd say the foundation or the apprenticeship that I was able to form there along with some coaching experiences. And um, it springboarded me to an opportunity where I went and lived in the Caribbean for a couple of years, um, which was lovely.
0: Yeah, for a few years.
1: Yeah, it was. And it probably sounds a little more um, romantic than it is. It's still (laughs) developed as well. I was based in Antigua, um, where the West Indies Cricket Board is as their coaching director. And traveled throughout the region to all the different territories which contribute to cricket in the Caribbean. Um, and at a time where they still had some wonderful players and they were kind of in that rebuild or you know, changing of the, the guard and generational um, trends. So we we're trying to put some programs in place for their coaches who who were very limited in terms of what they were exposed to and had access to as well. Um, so that was a really great time that I built some really strong relationships and could continue to work with, and to this day, you know, have, have contact with people in that part of the world when it comes to cricket and supporting their coaching. Um, but I, I knew that I probably needed to tick the box of being the head coach, cause I was one of the players in the system. Um, unlike you yeah. who have been very you know, highly regarded as a, a player before you transitioned to coaching, I didn't wear a green cap and didn't wear the baggy green for Australia. So, um, to, to get some experience as a head coach, I took a, a massive risk in going to India um, as the first non-Indian to ever coach first-class cricket in India. So wow,
0: okay.
1: Yeah, it was something that I was prepared to do. I was young enough and unattached enough. I mean, I had my partner who I'm still with to this day, but we weren't married and we didn't have children at the time. So I was able to go to India and work in their domestic system as Director of Cricket, so kind of the overarching leader of all their development through the program, but also be the head coach of their first-class team in the Ranji Trophy, their domestic first-class competition. And this is, like, I'm talking mid-2000s. This is before IPL, before all the money came and uh, yeah. all that sort of stuff when it comes to cricket. So it was the preeminent India. India was certainly changing. The middle class was growing rapidly. Yep. Uh, We hadn't seen the foundation or the kind of conceptualization of IPL. There was some little bit of T20 here and there around the world. that was starting to become noticed, but cricket hadn't moved that quickly. And IPL was just a bit of a dream at that stage. It was to come sort of three or four years after I departed. But I, I did that and to come in and with the impetus that I had with a really progressive, supportive, um president of the association who had a fair role um, at the time get a lot of stuff done so in, introduce coaches to best practice get a group of players together on a page where we had you know different languages and different parts of india coming together to play for maharashtra um, and i thought that was a really challenging task but a really rewarding one in that you could introduce some concepts that we knew were effective from developing culture and team and environment um, to bring people together and set them on a journey based on some clear values and foundations uh, towards a destination, but also just to see their growth and acceptance of those concepts was, you know, tremendous. So for me, there was definitely some highlights, but also some real challenges in getting a, a Pathway of you know teams that are under 13, 15, 17, 19, 21 through to the senior team. No resources, just me and uh, a physio who we kind of pinch hit to do the S and C work. You know, not a big staff. I got a yoga instructor in just to kind of do a little bit of mindfulness, what we now know as mindfulness. But at that stage, I just wanted to connect to their cultural roots and do something together, which would have some benefit to. Generate, I guess what we're going to talk about a little bit of kind of community or or, or team flow. Um, so we yeah. did in a helicopter hangar, like on site at the location I was, and we had one field between you know six teams to to practice on. The facilities were very limited, but we got things done. So for me, that,
0: so is was, that just, sorry, to interrupt, but is that like an instinctual thing from you to go? it's important to tap into their their cultural background and what, what they're accustomed to. And was that a, a purposeful sort of um, strategy from you to also potentially bridge the gap between you being the first sort of non-Indian um, leader in the space to come in and go and to sort of say, you know, I honour the the culture you have here and it's there's power in that, so let's tap into it. And then on the back end of it, what you know now is being more, actually I was executing a mindfulness plan for, for these guys um, was, you know, how aware were you of what was actually going on? Was that instinctual? Or was that strategic? It was strategic
1: in a sense that I wanted some things to connect the group. Um, some of the probably science behind it. I wasn't as aware at the time um, than I am now, you know, like, so I was doing a few things. There were some really important elements to me. So I arrived I'm pretty sure it was kind of around the June period of the year going into July where the monsoons hit the western um, coastline of of India. So that year was horrendous. Like it was underwater kind of stuff through a number of townships and um, where I was, I know there was weeks and potentially where we didn't have access to do any training. So I had a good, good bit of time at the start to form some of these things and do some research and listen to a lot of people and talk to a lot of people, even in you know, listening to them in Marathi as they're having conversations. But one, I tried to learn the language and I didn't try to learn Hindi, which is a, you know, national language, but it's not spoken by all. I learned the local language as much as I could. So I tried to tap into a bit of Marathi so I could show that I was trying to go over and above to listen and to speak in their tongue. Um, Yeah, That was one. But also know what was some of the elements locally that were really prominent. So in terms of their history and the The team was the cricket association, the Maharashtra Cricket Association. Didn't really have a, a logo or a um, a mascot or anything like that. But yeah, warriors were very prominent in some of the Mogle times and how they came through the area and whatever. So I was able to ascertain some of that information and and talk about us being warriors throughout the year and and base our foundation and our values upon those. Leaders of the past and being warriors, and and then work towards. Okay, well, how are we then going to connect the group? In some ways, knowing that there were quite a lot of ash. Nowadays, the the contemporary Pune, which I was living, living in Pune, um, is an education town, it's, an, it's a university town, but it also has a number of ashrams and retreats for people who are coming to study yoga um, and mm-hmm. meditation and other things. So it was like, okay, well, this is something that's true to the city, true to the place, which we is the heart of the the, the state that we're operating within, even though Mumbai is the, the major capital two hours away. We were the poor cousin, if you like, to, to Mumbai. Right, okay. Uh, two hours inland and a little bit like Toowoomba is to Brisbane in, in many respects, up on the range but it was these ashrams that sort of said, okay, well, there's some really prominent yoga figures here. So let's go and have a look at how they operate. And then I got a young instructor who was, in terms of her own um, abilities, I I saw how the female um, gender had a prominence within family orientation in India and thought it would be really nice for our group in a male dominated sport to have a female lead them in some areas. I still remember having those conversations with Palavi on the the first couple of occasions, and introducing her and telling, "Around this is what we were going to do," and nobody objected. So, right. yeah, it was deliberate in many respects, Paul. But in terms of what I was doing in behind the scenes, I probably um, just wanted to put a few pieces of the puzzle on the table um, and see how they fit together. And though they were very formational in that in that early stage.
0: Yeah. Well, wow, that's amazing. That's cool.
1: Yeah, so I know this is a bit of a, we've yeah covered a little bit of ground up, but in terms of the journey, that, that kind of got me to the late 2000s I came back to Australia, um, having really established some good stuff there that put people on Indian teams for the first time. We beat Mumbai in Mumbai for the first time in over 100 years, like in a four-day oh, wow. This is the Mumbai of, you know, the Tendulkas and the Mazundas and all these uh, Agarkas, great players of Indian... Um, stature Uh, that was a a big moment for us and then we had we won the all India under 19 competition for the first time ever and things like that so I knew it was heading in the right direction and I could pull back one I achieved what I wanted to do and also give other people some opportunities to be responsible for programs and continue that thrust forward and in India continued to change as well along those lines with IPL coming and they are just a powerhouse of world cricket right now so And came back to Australia and was lucky through all of those connections in that maybe first 15 years of my professional career to work in a prominent uh, private school uh, as a leader of their cricket program and helping out in other sporting programs here in Brisbane. Whilst in the winter it's not full, full year round cricket when it comes to the school environment, um, be able to con- still consult to a number of organisations, so do some work in the US and um, the Caribbean, go back and visit colleagues there and, and do some work for some of the associations within the West Indies structure, um, continuing the Asian continents and, and kind of build a little bit of a repertoire around how I can support coaches in a um, case-by-case scenario based on their needs. So I guess I guess the, I got the uh, the taste for that consulting piece and how that might look down the track. Um, and as it evolved, I was consulting to Cricket Australia also in helping them with the delivery of their level three program and some of their extension programs around um, elite coaching and what that might look like. So long story short, I ended up then with Cricket Australia for um as we got through another period of my life working in the laboratory that was the, the school environment and doing a bit of teaching at a university to Pulled together all those experiences I'd had in the apprenticeship, um, I was able to then apply those into a, a coaching model that I delivered for Cricket Australia for the best part of six or seven years, working as their elite coaching manager. Um, and I guess, helping support the growth, development and preparation of the, the coaches of the future. So um, when I first came in, Darren was the head coach of the Australian cricket team. Um, And then we we knew from some time out that we needed to prepare a number of people as part of a succession plan to be ready to take over Darren's job. We were able to professionalize the the women's head coach, the national team very much during that period um, with the support of others like Pat Howard and Belinda Clark and James Sutherland, who did a wonderful job to get that all moving in the right direction. And uh, we see now that the, the Australian women's cricket team like the Australian men's team are very well regarded. They're a leader worldwide. And the support for the coaches with those teams is remarkable. So I have a full-time yeah. coach and assistant and a number of specialist assistants that contribute to the female program, not unlike the men, but to then have people ready underneath that who could step up and take um, the place of national team coaches when their time was up was was really important it's not easy when you're traveling particularly in the men's game up, up to you know almost 300 days a year when you're traveling internationally living out of a suitcase and hotels on the road yeah. national cricket teams it's a it's a bit of a a long hard road um yeah so i found that you know it was a, it was a great time to work with a really great organization who are well known internationally and that opened up the door to many many other sporting conversations because Cricket Australia and everyone grows up, you know, dreaming of putting that baggy green on their head in Australia and playing a bit of backyard cricket around Christmas. So whether it be AFL or rugby league or tennis or golf or swimming and all the other things that are very dear to our heart, um, it, it created an opportunity to share some of the things we were doing and learn from others across the elite sporting landscape in this country and internationally as part of what we were doing to support cricket growth worldwide so um that sort of, you know that, that that was the previous chapter um leading me through till around about 2018 um 2019 when i had kind of you know was always thinking there's going to be a point where i can remove myself or, or step back from cricket and work to just support coaches more broadly like I was, there was very much a void in that space. Um, I was fortunate that a very well-resourced sport like cricket gave me that opportunity. Um, And there was some great thinking to, you know, put people in place to support elite coaches, but also, you know, coaches across the whole pathway. It wasn't just about education and training. It was now more around their ongoing development, um, which I think has been a shift in coaching over the last 10 years, more so that, you know, we are, custom to having the experienced greybeard or you know well-established coach come in and instruct, tell us the way they do things and that's how they share their knowledge and impart that knowledge. It's a knowledge transfer situation. Well, that's kind of the historical accreditation and education model, whereas now it's about facilitating conversations to to help people grow based on their experiences and working out what their fingerprint looks like and how they can best fit the environment and and grow the environment that they're a part of Uh, so i was excited by that and and the ongoing i guess interaction i was having with many sports so um, hence uh the opportunity kind of presented over uh, building over a probably three or four year period to look at what would this be it was an independent operation and and how could we um, support The ongoing growth of elite coaches, which I was most most I guess um, excited about, because that's the space I'd I'd done a lot of work recently. Um, But also, obviously, providing for my family and and making sure that it was you know going to be uh, an exploration that was one very very um, rewarding for me personally, but also rewarding for everyone that I came into contact with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, and so that, that sort of led you now to, to working with, you do doing some work with uh, Queensland Rugby and Swimming Australia as well, yeah, their coaching yeah. pathways and stuff as well, right?
1: Is that? I guess to maybe fill the gap and maybe share with the listeners a little bit more around how we got to coaching better, um, a really strong colleague. So I was always interested in the literature and evidence that sits behind why we do what we do, um, coaching practice, coaching performance, and um, through various, um, I guess, colleagues that are, are working to help coaches be educated and, and through the education and development of coaches while I was still at cricket, came into contact with a few of the universities in, in this country that have strong programs that have been well standing for, for long periods of time and offer you know a nice curriculum to prepare people for the journey of coaching that lies ahead and continue to support them through that process. So those colleagues at University of Queensland in the first instance um, also had other colleagues that we'd seek out around the world. One being um, Wade Gilbert, who is a Canadian who lives in the US and Wade and his work became part of um, an initiative that I introduced for Cricket Australia, which was to take our elite coaches totally out of their own backyard and and put them into environments of performance that were quite different. So let's go and explore. In a different setting, so we actually took them away on better known as a study tour, if you like, but a really robust process around that, where there was a whole heap of preparatory work, um, kind of research and workbooks that needed to be done in preparation to open their minds to what these experiences might be while they're in an immersion in the US, and then come back and reflect upon that as part of a formal research program with the University of Queensland and gather some information around their social learning, but also the learning that they that took place. Through the interactions and facilitated workshops that we were having while we were away so during that it was really important for me to connect with an expert internationally and have them distill the experience for us so wade became that person and i got to know wade very well we speak every other week um now and he had written some books um, and, and a whole heap of stuff as part of his role as the editor of the international sport coaching journal right and in the publications in the past he was one of two people to write a, a definition on coaching expertise and effectiveness in, in the late 2000s. So one of the great scholars and authors in this space of coaching science and, and coaching um, practice. Um, so through yeah through the connections with Wade and the book having been called Coaching Better Every Season, he kind of came to Australia. Oh, well, I brought him to Australia for the first time in I'm going to say it was 2017. I'm guessing now, so four or five years ago now. Um, yeah, the start that he'd been here predominantly to support the elite coach program that we'd established with Cricket Australia, but also to um, showcase what he had to offer. And we set up things that were multi-sport across the country. Because to be fair, the the system wasn't doing that. The system there was a gap in the system that Australian sport probably was servicing those sports that were part of the Olympic movement within the AIS and National Institute. Yep. network, Yet the professional sports were left on their own a little bit. So I was able to connect a lot of the professional clubs, as well as that um, National Institute network and, and Olympic network that bodies, uh, NSOs across the country. And have we had breakfast in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. And we also engaged with a number of clubs and organisations across the country. So Wade was here, we spent a little bit of time together and you could see that that was required. There was so many people that just lapped it up, you know, from you know the highest level and head coaches of AFL teams and NRL teams across the country, um, netball, cricket, etc., all the way through to you know some of the smaller sports and and participants at in university degrees, but also your local clubs and community club coaches that were able to access those experiences. Um, so. to to kind of move from where Wade came here, we spent some time together and we continued to evolve this process of taking groups on an annual basis to the US Um, for three or four years, took a leadership tour with the spine of the organization after Justin had just been appointed as the head coach of the Australian cricket team with the captain Tim Payne and the CEO and the the performance director, if you like. So the general manager Pat Howe and Really looked at leadership and how we were going to get on the same page around what the the next phase for Australian cricket was. Having had a scandal, if you like, in you know our history that happened in South Africa, so that was a really nice way to reset and push forward together. And it was at that time that I realised that you know what we've achieved a lot here, and it was going to be a little bit of a changing of the guard. People were well set for what was coming down the track, um, and I'd been fortunate that we included some. Uh, AFL coaches, some baseball coaches, some rugby league coaches, some tennis coaches, uh, other people from other sports in some of these immersions uh, as it got, you know, the last few years and as I was able to do some of those things for other entities as well as myself. And so what what came to bear was there's actually an opportunity here to do that as one part of the business, but also work then with some of those leading organisations who don't have the resources and the privilege that Cricket Australia did yeah. well. Yeah. So as you said, Queen, Queensland Rugby League is one of those organisations now and we've established a, a coach capability framework for their coaches within the Queensland Cup competition, just underneath the NRL with their head coaches at Intrust Super level, all the way through to the under 16 level, which feeds in. So 16s, 18s and Colts into their senior teams, both male and female. Um, and similarly with Swimming Australia, it was about working with their high performance unit to develop a strategy around how do we prepare coaches who are going to an Olympic Games in Tokyo, um, but not just for now, but for, for Paris and LA and potentially Brisbane if we're lucky enough to get in. Yeah.
0: The- yeah, fingers crossed, yeah.
1: Yeah, that, so that's kind of where we're at. We, we've developed that strategy. It's part of uh, one of, it's one of the pillars in their high performance strategy for that next two cycles and in the process of implementing that with their what they call performance pathway so um, the flippers coaches across the country which are just underneath the dolphins the team coaches that do attend the olympic games but i was just at a retreat a few weeks ago with um rowan taylor the head coach and his staff around that conversation of laying a really nice runway for when they get back from tokyo which is a real priority right now how Mm -hmm. can we start to be informed of you need and how we can support you to be the best version of you, knowing what skills will be required in Paris on pool deck in 2024 or in LA in 2028. And and similarly, with, we want more Queensland coaches in the NRL. So we've got to help Queensland coaches to be better equipped to, to move forward and have the skills required to deal with the pressures that come in major yeah. pressure.
0: Yeah. Amazing, man. What, what a journey you've had. And, um, you know, it's clear to say that, your immersion in the coaching industry and and your experience beyond that, not just in Australia but globally, and taking from different cultures and different perspectives, is is going to hold you in good stead. And that's no wonder you're having success with the sort of the ideology that you're putting forward at the moment. But I wanted I want to dive into the context because we sort of talked on a surface level, of like we've talked about, like what's missing in the coaching landscape in terms of. Yeah, each most sports have their coach education programs and their process, and they're teaching coaches how to coach a sport. Coaching the X's and O's, as we as we say. Um, but it's fair to say, and in my own personal experience as a national squash coach, um, there is a lot more sort of invisible things that you need to know and and be able to handle um, as a coach that you need to be prepared for. And there's a lot of your your focus around preparing. not teaching coaches how to teach their sport you're actually teaching them how to prepare to coach their sport would that be a fair analogy
1: yeah certainly the the stuff that i have been through as part of that journey you're learning so much through trial and error even when you're first going out and visiting a school you know everything's so organized you're trying to help a, a class of boys and girls hit balls catch balls throw balls bowl balls and you've got this nice little sequence set up and it all looks pretty and it's organized and you've got them occupied for, but you're actually not letting them go through the mess that's required to learn properly um, because yeah. there is much of a, re- so I realized that, you know, we probably weren't doing things as well as we could have in that delivery. And that's, you know, you can layer that across all parts. So where coach education was much more instructional and I was certainly talking about the skills of the game more than ever at the level one, level two, level um, courses and programs that we were initially delivering. The the wiser and older and more experienced we get, we we realise that it's more about the how and why than it is about the what. The x's and i's sum. So I, I would totally agree that there are many many layers that coaches through an education process um, don't get exposed to, which is unfortunate. Having said that, uh, the caveat is that there are so many sports and NSOs and and those national institutes now that are aware that there needs to be a shift, um, and they're putting processes in place to address that. But it's still we're playing a little bit of catch up at the moment to fall in yeah. line with international frameworks and that acknowledge you know that there are some co- core competencies that coaches need to have, and they're not always about the domain-specific knowledge. Yes, that's important. What would what would be
0: some of those those things? you would consider
1: important i guess for for me i've got a pretty clear and simple framework that i try to put it into coach speak you know if you like so that people understand um the the definition that cote and wilbert uh, and gilbert would suggest that it's about your integrated professional knowledge which is knowledge of the sport and how to teach it along with your interpersonal knowledge So knowledge of the people and the connections and relationships and how to build those and around you, but also knowledge of yourself, the intrapersonal knowledge um, and how they all come together to support the development of athlete outcomes, which are competence, so development of skills, confidence, their ability to bounce back from setbacks, their character, so the individual as a person and resilient and everything else, um, and their connection to a group. And so the program or the sport and everything that goes with that. So those four Cs. So for me, it's about, I, I say, the professional knowledge is your craft. You need to know your stuff. That's really important. Yep. You need to know yourself. You can't lead others until you can lead you and be really reflective and self-aware and who you are, what you stand for and how you need to go about things. But then you need to know how to, we're in the people business. Doesn't matter whether they're wearing a squash uniform, a cricket uniform a rugby league uniform or a cycling uniform, we're dealing with people. And they're people on bicycles or with a racket in their hand or with a bat or a ball. So we're dealing with people. So you need to be able to connect and to a certain degree, understand how others see the world as well as how you operate within that context and be a really good listener. Um, The one thing that's not part of their definition, um, which is the academic version, I think we all exist in a culture whatever that might be. And I've been lucky to live and immerse myself in different cultures, but Australia is a nation which is different to other parts of the world, whether that be Europe or North America, South America, Africa. So we're a a culture in ourselves and there's certain things that we hold very close and dear, but even the states in Australia are very different. If you look at the way people speak and behave in South Australia versus Queensland, there is quite a distinct difference in, in yes, the, yeah. Yeah. things that happen. Not to say that we're um, not the same people, but there are certain, you know, discrepancies in terms of one-out preferences that's AFL versus rugby league might be one, you know, that certain change as those sports have become more national, but there's, there's differences within those cultures. But then when we look at, it at a team level and even within a sport, so cricket has its own subculture, squash, rugby league, AFL, they're all different cultures, the swimming um, situation that I'm in now. And then clubs within those sports have their own cultures and they definitely want to stand alone. So what the Melbourne Storm do versus what the Adelaide Crows or the West Coast Eagles or the Nunawading Swim Club or the University of Southern uh, southern queensland or sunshine coast spartans do in the swimming world you know there are so many differences in the identity and the, the standards and the behaviors that are associated with those clubs so the culture piece is also really important and we hear a lot about that in sport these days how coaches become the architects if you like the engineer mm-hmm. of those environments which build the culture um, but culture is really uh, and i've heard this from someone else i'll steal their words Uh, it's the artifact of all the relationships that are part of that environment. So it's the presence of all those interactions and collisions that are healthy on an ongoing basis that kind of dictate and shape what your culture looks like. But there is a framework that the leaders will set and you know we'll try and get people on a path towards a journey that hopefully is values-based and has some strategy around a higher purpose and where we want to go on a journey. So it's not just about... Winning titles, yeah, that's important. It's good to keep sponsors and fans and everyone happy, but ultimately, it's about a journey. And sport is a journey. And um, if you do things well, then inevitably you're going to win some games along the way.
0: Yeah, and interestingly, I, I just on that, like saying sport is a journey, and it and it is when you take a sport as a whole section, like a you know squash is a sport, and it and it does have all these different subsets of cultures all the way down to the club level junior levels and then we also have our own internal cultures that we have the way we operate in that but you know and so sport really is is an infinite game like the the sport will carry on the coach can get fired coach can leave a player can retire and stuff there's the, the sport goes on it's an infinite game but we but we but we measure everything on a finite level like did we win today yeah did we get the scores on the right you know on the board did we did we win this cup did we win yeah you know, and 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 we're measured by this so what, what's your opinion on the yeah you know, the misalignment between the infinite and the finite um, attributes of of sport and how they are causing potential um, you know uh, frustrations for coaches um, and things because you know if you come into a in a role and you've got a a long-term vision, a five to 10-year vision of building a, a culture and a program and a, because and it takes time to build relationships, um, yet you're being judged on your results tomorrow immediately, even though you've been hired for that vision. So what is some, what is the way that, um, you know, how would you handle that with, with coaches that are faced with that sort of predicament? I mean, it's the reality we walk into as coaches. So yeah. What's, yeah. what's your thoughts on this?
1: Without any doubt, I um I totally agree and like that you mentioned the finite infinite stuff because you know there's some wrestle in that conversation. You know I've heard Simon Sinek who's written this book on you know the infinite game and yeah. how businesses navigate that space and how we can then draw that across into sport. It's really a challenge and um, as you said, so coaches generally get employed based on the process, like the the way that they're Going to deal with the club and the evolution of the club from a certain point in time, you know, and they'll get employed based on how they can win over a panel and, and portray their philosophy and the way they're going to go about things. Mm. Yet, as soon as they walk in the job, I would be very surprised if there are too many of those executives, board members, and CEOs who sit there and the next conversation being, So what do you need to support you? What do you need to help? How can we, how can we make sure that we can help you to deliver on what got you the job? All they want to know about is how many wins and losses sit in the column on the right. Um, and so they're being measured straight away, right? From the outset Mm -hmm. on the success of the team or the individual that they're working with. There's no doubt. And, and, and so they should be to a degree, Mm -hmm. but there's many other factors that we need to consider. So for me, The the process that we have to deal with is educating not only those that are employing coaches, but those that are in the media and uh, on boards and in executive positions of what coaches actually do and what head coaches do compared to assistant coaches, which is very different. They're certainly helping players to achieve their potential and play their role within a a team if if it happens to be a team environment, Um, but they're also um, there for the growth of the individual, the relationships that connect them to the, the group and a whole range of these other things that are part of you know, just ongoing building of a, a young man or young woman into a, a good citizen <laughs> because yeah. good citizens, good people make good All Blacks. Or we've heard that phrase coined many times before, or good Broncos or good Hawks or good squash players, good tennis players. We, we want good people and we, we want people to be, you know, um the being giving the best of themselves to any environment, but coaches have this ultimate responsibility of pulling all that stuff together and still winning some games along the way. So I think it's really important that assist, as system leaders and um, the people that support coaches, we continue to educate the coach how. They do two things. For me, it's it's about the two critical elements as someone's moving from being skills related or assistant or or graduating from a more junior role to a more senior role in coaching. If you're becoming the head coach for the first time, you better be really, really clear on who you are and the type of people you need around you. part of your support structure, whether that be formally employed, because um, in, in some cases in professional sport, you'll have a number of staff that you do have to support you. In some other sports, you don't have that, but know who that support and learning network are that you can lean upon. And they have some of the insights and, and abilities to fill the gaps that you're not so strong at. So
0: mm.
1: not just your mates, not just the people that are gonna pat you on the backside when things are going well or and you know, hide in the corner when it's not, we need people who are gonna tell the truth and be constructive and support to do the things that you're not necessarily equipped to do and, and help you get on the right path to delivering the whole gamut of requirements that a head coach and or a senior coach needs to deliver. Um, so that's one and the other is knowing how to influence and manage the people beside and above you. So those that are in other positions of influence that Um, impact upon your performance and the team's performance or the the athlete's performance and also the others that are recruiting and deciding on budgets and making decisions Mm. where we invest our money and, and how the club is portrayed or whatever it might be. So the general managers, the performance directors, the CEOs, the board members are critical that you have a regular dialogue with them to ensure that they know what is going on. And that you're really clear on what the narrative then internally might be, and how that, that gets portrayed to the outside world, because the media can have such a um, destructive, you know, influence upon a, a team, club, organisation, and and individual if they if they choose to.
0: Yeah, and so and, and in your experience, so you you, you decided like that um that answer you said that you know it's you said very few. Um, executive CEOs, you know, board members, and things like that. When when they're hiring a coach, the the first the question they ask is, you know, how can we support you further? Like, what do you need from us to to um, execute that vision and and things? So, you know, I I've just recently I just finished watching uh, making making their mark, the uh, AFL documentary that Amazon did, which I thought was phenomenal and portrayed the different coaching styles and the way that um, different coaches approached. Coaching different teams that were at different levels and things, but I found it really interesting the relationship between Damien Hardwick, coach of the Richmond Football Club, and Brendan Gale, and and the president. Like that dynamic seemed really, um, it seemed that relationship. Like it seemed Brendan Gale was literally there going, you know, like, "How can I support this coach to act on this vision that we've created together?" There seems a lot of togetherness in that vision. And, you know, he went on record on the media to say in 2010 that, you know, by the end of 2020, I feel like we'll be on the verge of our third premiership. And Gary Lyon looked at him going, like, seriously? Like, are you saying you're going to win three premierships in the next 10 years? And he's like, yeah. Um, The strength behind that, once you cast that vision and that philosophy behind it, um, everything about what they presented, and I know, there's so much more that happens behind closed doors that rather than a documentary, but everything just seemed in alignment. The way they communicated with each other, the banter, the um, the way that Damien would speak to the players, you know, the, the choice of language he used, um, and it seemed very consistent from top down all the way. Um, how rare is that in sport? Do you find? And 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 is this is this something that you know that teams need to be? And athletes and coaches need to be looking at going, like, we need to be modeling this sort of thing to build these types of relationships and this um, identity around who we are. And you said, you know, you got to know who you are. It seemed very clear that those people were very clear on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, where do we start with this one? It's a really good question that you framed.
0: It was a really long question. I think I was projecting no. and questioning all at the same time. So. Yeah,
1: and I've had a little bit, I won't say a lot, but I've had a little bit of inside knowledge having been in the Richmond environment. So first, I think the first thing that needs to be said is the environment needs to be ready for it. Um, and I think the, the point that you kind of said without saying in the, Peggy and Brendan... And and Damien, along with a couple of other people, I would say within that environment, I don't know, I haven't seen the documentary yet, but I would say Neil Balm's been a critical player in that place, who's the manager of footy, and then the guy that's kind of stepped up to that role to support Neil, and but always been Damien's right hand man. It's been Tim Livingston, who's an educator, he's a teacher, he's a fantastic person who does absolutely, as I just sort of explained before, um, fill some of those gaps but also oh, he has, yesterday, yeah. and he has the ability to and, and Damien said it after his grand final win at the Gabba last year he said look there was a time this year when we went into the hub that I wasn't coaching very well and I needed Tim to tell me hey, like pull him into line and say this is not good enough but yeah. they've obviously got a really strong relationship that they built over time where they respect one another and Tim is able to say hey, this is not you at your best What's going on? How can we help him get him back on the path towards being his best? Um, so I think that's critical. So the wh- what I would say is there's an alignment. There's absolutely an alignment from chair of the board through, and, and that's a critical thing, a critical element that I've seen in all those teams that have been long-term sustainably um, successful. Yeah. Uh, yes, it might be rare that you, you mentioned before, now, but it's not rare that where we started this conversation, I said, you've got to start with the end in mind, right? So Brennan's got a vision. It's a really clear vision for where we're Now, that wouldn't be Brendan's vision. That's the Richmond Footy Club. Brendan's- That's
0: yeah. something they collectively coming together to...
1: Yeah, and they live and breathe that. They actually have a very value-based um, organisation that I've seen firsthand. And I know that that group you talked about, they meet at a little cafe in Richmond at least once a month. I think it may even be more regularly. And have breakfast together. So there's an opportunity for that, that's, that's social, but it's connected. It's really strong, but now I'm not, I'm sure that's the case in many, many environments, but that's a really good example of there is some comfort. There's some safety or security that they're working together on this, even though they have different roles within the process to provide an environment where this is a journey. This is not about winning our flag. This is about a journey of making the Richmond Footy Club um, one of the great clubs in Australian sport. Now, fantastic. that guess what? If you're going to do that, you're going to win some flags along the way. And I applaud yeah, them. Absolutely. Um, they've done a great job. Um, and they continue, they'll continue to do that. They've you know, shaped young men's lives and made better young men as a part of that process, which is, I know, one of the things they hold really true. And other people that are part of their organisation, you know, working there is... You can tell when you walk in the building that it's the place that people want to be a part of. And that you know that's fantastic. And I think that's a common trait that you do um, see when you when you see some of those clubs. Like for me, the other piece that maybe doesn't get recognized that often, Paul, is when you've got some of the people that I talked about before who end up in those leadership positions above the coach, if they've coached, such an advantage, such an advantage. Neil Baum was a, f- a head coach. Neil Baum was a head coach. Yeah. Tim Linden was a head coach. A did Brendan, did, I know
0: Brendan Gall was a, was a, was, a, was really a great player, but did he coach?
1: I'm not sure Brendan has had a, a long coaching, but you know he's understood coaching. I, I, I talk about James Sutherland in um, the Australian cricket setup. He was a coach. Yeah, worked at Carlton Footy Club after he finished his cricket career, but he coached with the Victorian. So he was the CEO of Australian Cricket. Pat Howard. He was a rugby coach after playing for the Wallabies. So we had coaching background at different levels, which really understands the process of what is required for a coach. Now the two other clubs that spring to mind that have this really strong culture and have built sustainability over time: the Melbourne Storm. The director of the, the Footy director at Melbourne Storm. To coach Frank Panisi, it's not just about Craig Bellamy, it's about Frank and Craig and a lot of other people without question. But again, Frank and Craig complement each other remarkably well to be able to deliver all the things they need to for their assistant coaches, for their support staff, the head of performance, Lockheed Penfold, and all the great people that work in that organization. And, you know, they've visited as damien and others do they go and visit other places and I, I i would say that one of the most impressive that we've all and i use that from you know the guys at richmond who have been away and um, other sports that have been part of this as well along with craig and frank who have visited the san antonio spurs um and seeing that relationship with greg popovich and rc buford who was the equivalent you would call him the general manager at one point but he's now become the ceo and when they first started that when pop first came to the club their roles were reversed rc was in coaching and pop was the yeah. gm so now you know they've had obviously great success in a small town compared to some of the other budgets and programs in the nba um and they've you know developed one great people over time i think there's not an nba team that doesn't have a coach that's come out of the spurs system you know they've they've produced yeah. really good qualified people and again the, the organization Definitely is one that welcomes others to to try and continue to improve on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it sort of springs to mind. You hear quite a lot in um, business contexts around, you know, like you shouldn't be too big to 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 you know to really truly run an organization. You should have you should have um, you should have a deep understanding of what it takes to run each role. Like, you know, spend some time in your business. Doing each role. So you have an an understanding, you have a level of empathy and and a a bit more. So it's sort of reminding what you said then, you know, a lot of Neil Baum, coach, general manager. So a lot of these successful organizations are having coaches move their way to the helm that have an understanding that know when they need to be out of the way, need to create space for the coach to execute the vision and do what they do um, and empower that, support that. emphatically and and provide that safe space for um risk taking you know we we talked earlier offline a little bit about risk taking and stuff and how so many coaches are afraid to step outside of that box of x's and o's and go and look at different opportunities you know and, and a good friend who actually introduced us cody royal um touched on this a lot you know like looking outside the box of different things and going and, and you know look you know looked as far as like movies like moneyball and and things like that or that that story where someone's gone everyone's doing this but what if we did that yeah. it takes a strong organization uh, and a, and a lot of great people with a clear vision and purpose and and philosophy to actually support an ongoing vision that is risky you know and 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 backing themselves to to have the level of um uh, creativity and aptitude and um, strength to to fulfil it in in the long term. So it's um, I've sort of forgot my own question then, but uh, <laughs> I got excited about uh, that connection. But in terms of the risk, you know, what what can coaches do that feel like they're not um, they're not able to take the risk to act on their true vision? Um, when they're being sort of maybe suppressed by an organisation or some board or some other issues that are coming at them from a different angle, not able to actually execute, kind or of feel like they can execute comfortably without risk of losing their job tomorrow because they didn't win next week?
1: Yeah, I think that all stems from the previous conversation we're having around, you know, this alignment and understanding where where we're going together, um, yeah. which is really important. And not losing sight, the, the main i know you know we talked about the melbourne song craig is a big advocate for you've got to keep the main thing the main thing and the main thing is in that case right so you've got to you've got to do the core things well there's no question you've got to do the basics or the core things whatever they are referred to in your given sport yeah but by doing those you give yourself the confidence to express yourself um and and that's where we create, I like to think of it as a framework and some freedom within a framework. So we've got some boundaries here. We need to do the things that we do well and know what they are and how we do them. But then we actually need to be able to, and be encouraged to as coaches, as players, take some risk, but be supported in that, right? So it would be silly in any endeavor for us to take risk without knowing the consequences. Yeah. However, if we know that there's risk, but there's also comparative support, then those risks can be alleviated and minimized. And I know Red Bull's engaged in this space really heavily with what they did when um, Bumgarner jumped out of space into the, the yeah. world and they do with their performing under pressure camp. So it's about perceived risk being high, but the actual risk being reduced by a greater like level great
0: of- systems and support out. Yeah
1: great systems and support, so that comes through education, that comes through, um, you know, some comfort that we've got the foundations in place and we've got the skills and we've practiced those and and we believe in the systems that we're playing and, and, and strategies that we have, so that when confronted with something which is maybe foreign, that we can instinctively respond. And I think that's what we see when creativity is encouraged within different environments so that people can take those risks And be supported, and yeah, there's going to be times where coaches make mistakes. They're human, and players make mistakes, and staff make mistakes. But the way we respond to those is is the really key piece in if we want to see. And I talk about this. I've I've said this maybe a couple of times in different forums. If we want to see artists on the weekend, we can't treat them like soldiers during the week yeah we've got to practice it it's like any skill we have to look so, at the ballerinas during the week we've got to give them opportunities yeah we've got to get some stuff done and that comes with some drills and small sided games or however we prepare but we when we get to performance whether that be an olympic games or when we're standing on the blocks and an olympic final in swimming or whether that be in an athletics event or whether that be in a team at a in a final We need to make sure that we've prepared them for those experiences by practicing the skills required in that that setting.
0: Yeah, and as you said, like you know, you know, wanting them to be artists. And 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 funny enough, again, we celebrate we celebrate the the success of risk, creativity, and all those things in sport. You know, like you know, the guy who just went on a tangent and hit you know a whole bunch of six sixes. to win the game, you know, by just leaving it all out there and just, you know, and and sort of, we, we celebrate it, but it's often suppressed in a lot of, a lot of times, unfortunately, but um, but funny enough, and and in my space uh, where I focus a lot of stuff on flow and the flow triggers and stuff with risk, creativity, novelty, and all these things being triggers that actually induce a, a flow state for peak performance. Um, you want to have that, yeah. Building the confidence in the system, that foundational piece where they can always fall back on that. Like that's the, that's the baseline. But then, you know, um, empowering that piece to go, you know, look, don't, don't go crazy on going for all these shots or, you know, throwing it all, you know, going for the, um, the barrel from the center of the grounds um, five times in a match. But, but at times, if trusting that instinct and knowing that. If you have a crack at it and it comes off we're going to celebrate it um if, if you have a crack and it doesn't come off we can't we can't equally turn around and punish that either you know what i mean if we're going to celebrate it we can't punish it we've got a there's got to be that common ground going you had a crack what was the lesson we learned and again to bring back to to hardwick's uh communication with his players you know with uh with the sort of um the incidents that happened mid-season with a couple of players uh Breaking protocol and the COVID restrictions and stuff like that and being sent home and the club being fined 100 grand you know, his words to the players that were shown on, on the documentary were yeah, the younger fellas they've made mistakes they're going to learn from this What are we? You know, how do we treat this, what we learn from this and how we move forward and his optimis- optimism and his humanistic approach around that it seemed to me, and you said this word earlier, creating safety so it seems that coaches purposely or unpurposed, you know, uh, are are building this, uh, touching on our our humanistic needs of safety, connection, love, support, which then sort of empowers us to sort of transcend into peak performance. You know, it's my sort of belief that without a a solid level of um, those humanistic needs being taken care of, we can't have sustainable peak performance which you know touched on a solid well-being foundation and having protocols in place to make sure your well-being is optimal and optimized then knowing that you can jump up into that space of i'm going to get super creative right now because i'm feeling it Uh, i'm going to make a decision that goes against the grain a little bit that the commentators or the media is going to potentially abuse me for but if it comes off i'm going to be celebrated but it's instinctual things. And we see this this in sport um, all the time. Um, Like just that, the drawing on our humanistic needs. But as you said, like there's no safety. There's no foundation of feeling safe to go out and go, I know I'm allowed to trust. I've been empowered. I know the people around me will support me, fail. Um, Yeah. And and as long as I'm willing to learn from that, then we can have a crack. But we go together as a team. You know, we... um, yeah that's really important humanistic needs of that foundation it's it seems and even in where where I've come from with with, in my roles going that stuff for me as a coach wasn't in place and you know two two and a half years into my role I resigned with you know struggling mentally physically um, burnt out and just not able to to do what I love doing the most at that point in time and having the effect and the impact that I knew that I Probably could on on the athletes and the and the sport. Um, So you feel like that's you know, is that part of your thinking as well in terms of we've got to have a a, we've got to have a safe space, a a base baseline for organisations, whether it's sport in any business really, it's in life. You know, families, we've got to feel that level of security and safety, love and connection to be able to go forth. And I just look bring back to that Richmond Football Club and. There was love, there was connection, support, there was there was all of that stuff. And then their performances would just transcend teams abilities by by far when it when it mattered.
1: I think what's really important, man, you're absolutely correct. It takes time. Like yeah. learning takes time. And Richmond Footy Club hasn't just said, you know, that Brennan made those statements in 2010. It wasn't until Damien We'll acknowledge he made a significant shift in 2016 yeah. um, and, and then they were fortunate that they won the, the flag in 17 on the back of that but there was a lot of work that's going into that those first six years and some clubs they wouldn't have persisted in that period and they would have maybe changed some things and made a decision to move on the coach and go in a different direction yet they still their strategy was the same so you know Congratulations to them for staying the path. You know, John Wooden won 11 championships, um, but he lost a whole heap before he got to that point where they were successful as well. And such is the same, You know, if you look at the history with, with Belichick, um, you look at other people who have had sustained runs of success that they've learned some lessons hard along the line before they got to that point um, to come back to it. So it takes time, it's about learning. Um, and it definitely is about generating safety, but that comes from the reps. You've got to get some practice in providing that level of security. I think it probably starts off as security in the connection between individuals, small groups and the team uh, within an organization. And I, I think that starts from people's just ability to understand that it doesn't matter how much you know, it doesn't matter um, what you do or say, it matters how, how you f- how people feel within the organization. So what is that, you know, creation there? So that that comes from, I guess, the quote that Mayor Angelo, you know, speaks to and, and is quite prominent in literature around, you know, people don't know what you said, don't or don't remember what you said. People don't remember what you did, but they remember how that you made them feel. Yeah so it's about creating that over time because that doesn't happen overnight it's about creating an environment in any of these high performance settings where people feel like they belong belonging is one of those basic needs that we all you know so yeah. different theories in motivation but also um actualization you know it is about our psychological needs and how we can connect and belong and then how do we have some autonomy and and how do we develop some competence and helping people in each of those areas to uh, grow. I talk about, first of all, probably from a coach's perspective, maybe slightly different to a player. A player definitely wants to know as well. So the knowledge areas that we, we mentioned earlier, so craft, self, people and culture, First of all, our job is to know what we know. So where do I stand? Where, what do I know? And hopefully can I work out what I don't know? And if I don't know what I don't know, who can help me to find out what I don't know, who are the people I need around me? So once I know what I know and I know what I don't know, how do I grow? So it's about knowing, growing the things that you want to grow. So you might want to enhance some strengths or you might wanna overcome some limitations. So it's about knowing, growing and, and continuing being on that curious, con- continuous improvement, marginal gains, you know.
0: So feedback comes back really important, right? Like, yeah. you know, a lot of head coaches, you know, I didn't have, you know, from I, I, I'm using my experience a little bit here, but I didn't have immediate feedback often. You know, the, I didn't have assistant coaches, you know, a, a smaller sport, um, lots of pressure from different areas and not much feedback. So, and then, you know, with the sort of the amount of workload that you are put under, you know, and not having the awareness at that point in time to, you know, ref, probably deep, you know, I reflected on my performance, but reflecting deeper and more often, uh, around that space. You know, it's a, the feedback is a is a trigger for us to perform better. Like it, as long as it's as long as it's structured in the right way and and it's it's not constant criticism. It's 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 projected or given to us in a in a really yeah you know, supportive manner towards the same vision that's in alignment with our values and culture we've identified. That's that safety going. Oh yeah, I can see yeah. And you you're using a couple of examples and. Um, but knowing and 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 having the curiosity and the courage to go, well, what don't I know, and what what can I do to strengthen that, or who can I get in that can play that role and be that person there for me to go, oh, mate, your your weakness is showing again, or you know, like let's do some more work around that. Mm-hmm. And I believe you were at an AIS conference um, recently, and um, I think Eddie Jones was talking a bit about um, he what he, I think he called it a critical friend um who was someone there just by his side all the time which is almost like a coach for the coach um mentor for the coach or you know they probably played a whole whole host of roles but do you think that's the way forward for coaches to be able to because athletes aren't going to really generally give to you know you've got to create a lot of safety around athletes giving you pretty honest feedback around as a head coach um because they're in fear of pissing somebody off Um, Mm -hmm. So, who are you getting that honest feedback from, so you can actually get more curious? Yeah, actually, maybe you're right. And there's someone that can actually facilitate that for you to go, cool. We're gonna get some. Let's let's work on this thing, and just keep tapping you on the shoulder, to remind you about that stuff. You know, is that the future of coaching? Is that is that something that I think for me that would have been so valuable and so probably would have kept me. Um, a lot more sustainable in in what I was doing. Um, do you think that's the future of coaches, and should coaches be sourcing people like that out?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great point. It's a great point. It kind of throws a whole heap of things into my mind. One being, if we step back to you, in your role, you know, you were learning that a little bit on the fly as a national coach, you know, because as we started off, you know, talking about education programs, we don't teach people the skills, and they're probably not in the space where they're doing it regularly enough to to develop that self-awareness when you're coming through the system. you know, Until you're isolated and you're leading a program, that's more and more required. So that self-awareness to know know what we know and what we don't know, to grow some skills so that we can flow. So I talk about knowing, growing, so you can flow, like the things that you're most interested in um, and be at your best more regularly comes from having those people around. I'm glad that you brought up Eddie because Eddie would say, I've heard him say this on a number of occasions that he's a much better coach now when he's accepted that he doesn't know at all earlier in his career when he was, and, and he is a workaholic. He, he works 16 hours a day. He's a terrific coach. He's actually learned how to interact with people much better over time and soften a little bit um, in his nature. But when he was at the Reds and the Wallabies, he probably made some mistakes by thinking he knew more than he did and not being open to that. Um, and he, he said very recently, um, having Neil Craig, someone from outside of his sport, uh, from another sport to be there as that critical friend is a great way to keep things on check for him, but also for all to keep the temperature or the climate of the environment humming along and just be that independent set of eyes. Cause he's not, he's not a threat. He's not a threat in any way because he's not there to take over the coaching of the team. Yeah. A history and pedigree in that domain. Yes, he's been uh, an AFL head coach and yes, he's had time working at, you know, Institute, you know, as, as a sports scientist in his previous career, professional career, but he's got some skills that help support that. I also think to um, Ron Adams, so some people that might be listening would know Ron Adams is a 73 year old truth teller who sits alongside Steve Kerr at every Golden State Warriors game. You know, Steve, engaged and employed Ron not not only because he's a, a truth teller who's been in the NBA for 50 years, but because he can see things differently than Steve, who's a relatively young coach but had some great success having played in Bulls teams and Spurs teams where they've won championships. But for Steve it's about, yeah, this guy's a defensive guru and and a, and a really good development coach of defensive systems. But for me it's about having that critical friend or truth teller to give me the insights that he's accumulated over a a, a, you know great career Um, and Brad Stevens had worked with Ron previously so some of these younger coaches in the NBA have kind of walked down that path so to answer your question I think those that are intuitively self-aware may have less need for it but the demand on the head coach is so great that having critical friends whether they be directly involved in the organization now that might be the case with the the general manager at the melbourne storm frank and craig their relationship or it might be tim and neil who have had coaching experience with damien at richmond but in some cases it might be an external person who is to provide that level of support and be part of an environment on a semi-regular basis because the resources simply don't exist to have uh, a permanent member of staff that is dedicated to that role and function yet i do see that um, having some position where you can be one step removed actually is an advantage as well because you're seeing things through a different lens and you're not necessarily immersed. So there's there's some pluses and minuses of being inside and outside the organisation. Um, the the I guess the um, summary or 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 that to bring this to a head, the critical piece is that coaches. Need to understand their learning and support network really, really intimately and how they can know what they know and what they don't know, how they can continue to grow so that they can just be at their best more often.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's well said, and that's and that's sort of you know, I think that's where we've sort of connected on that level with you know, I've just started supporting a couple of national coaches, um, in a couple of different sports now in that sort of capacity, you know, on a um, contract basis and just and it's only been a couple of months and and the the initial impact well the feedback i'm getting from that you know is you know it's 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 really you know but it's great because it makes you know i'm proud of it but the difference it makes just even there to have a conversation and just to listen bounce ideas around um just is such a pivotal piece for For coaches because as you said like the pressure on head coaches and and just before we wrap it up here I wouldn't mind just touching on this a little bit around you know I call them the invisible stresses of of elite coaching or head coaching and and these invisible stresses aren't you know lost on volunteer coaches you know all the way through the spectrum you know people because you know I, I definitely know there's volunteer coaches out there who get abused and Things like that from some parents and whatnot and stuff, but from a head coach level, you you're pretty isolated. You, that's a we've heard many coaches go on the record the loneliness of it. It's very similar to a CEO role in, in a lot of respect, as you you can't you can't vent up, you can't vent down. You, you know you've got to seemingly have all the answers and and as you said, bring the culture, bring the winning, bring the the learnings, bring the player development, personal development, all these things together into one package um but you've also got to manage that for yourself you've got to manage your own well-being and you know and and the amount of time that head coaches invest i mean you just said about eddie jones he coaches 16 hours a day you know like that you know it takes a special person to be able to commit that level but it comes with a cost and for many coaches they care so much about the players and the group and the team and the, the results and the outcomes and the and the Developing people as, uh, oh, developing athletes as great people, um, that you can get lost in that, and your identity become wrapped up in it, and you forget to take care of yourself. And this is a part that really fascinates me a lot: is that you know, coaches are optimizing their athletes for peak performance, yet they're showing up without sleep, you know, um, not hydrated well, not you know, not undernourished. They're not taking care of their own mindfulness, visualization, all these things that we know improve performance. You know, what's the understanding of most coaches? Do they, do they think they're performers or do they, you know, like are they are they in the awareness that they need to optimize their own brain performance to get the best out of themselves? Because if you're if you're if you're sleep deprived, your brain is not going to recognize patterns of play it's your ability to make decisions, especially game time, fast, quick decisions. Is going to be impacted. So, is this something that coaches are, are aware of? Because in my experience, talking to a lot of coaches, it's all they always bring the conversation back to the athletes. They, you know, if you ask them about their own well-being practices, uh, practices they're very like they're quick to bring the conversation back to, oh, them, you know, make sure my athletes are doing this, X, Y, and Z. But you're not doing the things that are going to optimize your own performance. So what's the impact of that long term, given that the landscape of coaching is changing now, um, and you know social media, all these things of the invisible stresses that come in fast and furious and relentlessly, you know, what what should coaches be doing? do you think to to manage that to mitigate the stress and uh, things? And
1: there's a a dual responsibility here. It's one, the coach. It's also the organizations that employ those coaches Uh that we have good practices and routines in in place for the coach to adhere to that. And and I say that because um, I've said recently, the biggest competitive advantage is not the tactics. It's not the techniques. It's not the physical conditioning, mental practice. It's optimizing the coach. Yep. Because what we've just talked about in in the previous section around knowing what you know, growing the things you do, and then so you can flow leads us to here if we want our athletes to know their role and their skills and all the things that make them be the best performer they can be as an athlete and continue to seek to be better as an athlete so to enhance those capabilities and skills and uh, and applications and tactics and whatever else so that they continue to be on this path and then they can be present when they play or compete we have got to model it as coaches we have to model it yeah we can be preaching that this is what we want to see in all of the people that are part of our environment without standing at the front as a leader and doing that for ourselves so i i would Repeat, you know that I think that the greatest opportunity that sporting teams and organisations have is to invest, as we've seen in recent times, a, a overwhelming investment in athlete health and well-being, um, which is necessary without any question. But equally as important is the well health and well-being of the coach and the support staff. That are associated with the coach that might be assistants or uh, people you know our heads of performance are highly responsible um, performers in their own right they're looking after the physical performance of an athlete but they generally these days have a team of strength and conditioners and you know athletic development coaches around them or rehab coaches they all need to do the same things as well we can't be just drilling the athletes to do that if we don't present ourselves in such a manner that we're not fit for for work and fit for practice as our athletes are. So it's about definitely encouraging that to be part of just every day Um, in winning the day. I think rather than trying to win the contest come Saturday or Sunday or whenever you're playing, let's just make sure that we first deal with winning the day every day with our own health and wellbeing. And that sets us on a really good path towards being the best coach. Head of performance athlete, whatever it might be, and we can play our role well within an organisation or a team and um, get the best out of ourselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a case of that. Um, we all think that when we win, we're going to get get that happiness or that joy or thing like that. But it's really it's the it's the reverse way around. You've got a yeah, you know, a well optimised coach is going to have the ability to connect deeper with their athletes, build better coach athlete relationships, pattern recognition is enhanced and their ability to get into flow, a flow state while they're coaching, which is not very hard for coaches to do. Like they're hardwired for it. that That's the main thing they thrive on. But then the recovery piece around that, like you've got to recover from all that stuff as well. So, so yeah, look, um, just mindful of time. Uh, yeah, this has been an awesome conversation, and I know we could probably go on for another two hours or so. Um, but, look, I just want to um, – express my gratitude for you taking the time to share your knowledge and uh and your thoughts and experience with 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 myself and um whoever gets the pleasure of listening to you um on this podcast and um you know i love the work that you're up to and um and yeah that's it's uh it's it's meaningful and impactful so 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 keep it going and uh i look forward to uh chatting further in this space with you
1: yeah mate thank you i'm very Humbled and grateful for the opportunity just to chat and share a few ideas. Um, yeah, for everyone out there that is listening, you know, it's always a journey towards getting better, and, and encourage you to just keep pursuing it. And there's people like us that are out there doing our best to support you in that journey.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, if people want to reach out to you or, or find you on, uh, online or anything like that, where can they where can they do that, mate?
1: Um, LinkedIn's really easy. You know, you'll find me just by searching the name. Um, and I think on Twitter and Insta, mostly Twitter. I think I don't do much Instagram. I'll leave that to the kids and my partner. Um, it's underscore at underscore coaching better.
0: Underscore coaching better. Cool. Well, I'll provide some links uh, in the show notes as well um, to, to where they can find you and. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks thanks so much. It's been I've loved it. It's been uh, such an interesting chat and, uh, and thanks again.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Paul.
0: Thank you for dialing into the Flowcast. I hope you took away some valuable insights to make your challenges and journey a little more epic. If you'd like to learn more about how we can help you find more flow and upskill your vision and mindset, check out our Flow programs at www.inspiredpeakperformance.com or you can follow us at Instagram at inspiredpeakperformance. Thanks again for sharing your valuable time with us and please feel free to share and subscribe to The Flowcast. Until next time, get out there, find your flow and create your own inspired peak performance day.